But I did just want to give you all a brief update on the youth group. Uh, again, thank you all for the opportunity to serve as interim and help out with that. It's been a real blessing to us. You guys have a great group of kids uh, that are um, they're doing really well. Um, I feel like they are coming together and they're handling this transition well. Uh, we've been studying on Sunday nights through the book of Ruth, finished up Ruth this last week, so you can ask them any question about the book of Ruth and they should be able to answer it for you. And then on Wednesday nights, we're doing what I like to call basic, uh, building all students in Christ. And we are working through some of the basic doctrines of the Christian faith. And we've talked about general revelation, special revelation. And this week, we will begin to talk about God and some of his attributes and just really what are the foundations of what we believe. Uh, and so they are doing well. Again, we are enjoying our time. Uh, hopefully, they're having a good time and they are learning. Uh, this morning, if you would, turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 23. Most of you are already there. It's a little intimidating preaching a, a very familiar passage of Scripture for a couple reasons. One, everybody knows it, and uh, it's very possible that you could think, I know everything I need to know about this passage of Scripture, so for the next 25 minutes, I'm going to check out and make my grocery list for the week. Uh, or you have your favorite preacher that has preached this passage in the past, and I am now standing up against that person. And you're thinking, I can't wait for him to miss this point because he's going to. I know he is. So it's a little intimidating, uh, but hopefully we walk through this together. We have a great time in the Lord and that we all grow as we begin to walk through here. I have titled my message a question today. I love to ask questions when I uh, preach through the text. Uh, today's title is, Who is the shepherd of your heart? Who is the shepherd of your heart and I asked this because I recently was reading through the news and I saw kind of a startling statistic. Uh, the New York Times recently reported that the average American watches five hours of TV a day. Five hours of TV a day. So I Googled, because you know you can find anything you want to find on Google now. I Googled uh, how much time does a person spend reading their Bible? And I went through some different articles, and I found one I thought was pretty reputable uh, on uh, Christianity Today. And in 2014, they, they reported that the average evangelical Christian, the average American Christian, uh, only 57% of them will open up their Bibles four times in a year. 57% of evangelical Christians will only open up their Bibles four times out of the same number polled, they found that one in five, only 20%, will open up their Bibles one to two times a week outside of church. Well, that eh, math adds up to 77% of there. That means about 23% of Christians will not open up their Bibles at all during the year. Listen, if you're, if you're here today and you're one of the 57% that only every now and then, maybe once a quarter, opens up your Bible outside church, I just want to encourage you, let's up that a little bit to once a month. If you're one of the believers here today and you're opening up your Bibles one to two times a week outside of Sundays and Wednesdays, hey, let's, let's push forward. Let's, let's do that. Let's open it up maybe a third or fourth time a week. If you're here today and you're faithful to spend time in God's Word, 
I want you to be encouraged in that. I want you to be to know that uh, hopefully that we're following and we're doing what the Lord has led us to do as we begin to look at these different things. And if you're here today and you, you don't own a Bible or you don't have access to one or uh, maybe you've got one that you have a hard time reading and you want some recommendations on one, hey, we want to help you get a copy of God's Word in your hand. We want to help you do that so that you can come to the Word and you can know who is shepherding your heart? Because if I ask the question, who's the shepherd of your heart? And you spend five hours a day watching TV, but no time walking with the Lord. The question then hangs out there, who's truly my shepherd? As we begin to look at this psalm with that question in light, um, I'm going to wait and read through the psalm one more time at the very end here. So we're going to start walking through this uh, kind of verse by verse, section by section. We begin in verse 1 here. The Lord is my shepherd. Notice, uh, notice this my in the beginning. It's not the king or a king. Literally, the writer of the psalm, David, has a personal relationship with the Lord. He has a personal relationship with Yahweh. It This is literally my shepherd. He is my Lord. He is my God. And as we begin to ask that question, in light of the who is the shepherd of my heart question, we ask ourselves then, is the Lord my Lord? Is God my God? Is He the one I look to as my shepherd? We understand that in the beginning of the Bible, God creates all things. He creates all things good. And He creates us to have a relationship with Him. That in the early beginnings of Genesis 1 and 2, God would come down in the beginning of the days and in the cool of the day, and He would walk with Adam and Eve. And He would have a personal relationship with them. But we understand that God doesn't come down and walk with us in the cool of the day now, does He? That there's pain, that there's suffering, that something changed, something happened to our relationship with God. And you look just one more chapter into Genesis chapter 3 and you understand that that relationship with God was broken. That sin has separated us from God. That this separation causes us to long to fill that vacuum in our heart, to fill that need to be with Him, to know Him. As you read through your Bibles, you come to a place, you come to the Gospels and you meet a man named Jesus And Jesus lives a perfect life and He dies the death for sin that we all deserve. And He's buried and He's put into the grave. And three days later, He raises victorious over death, triumphant over death, the first and the only to do that so far. We call this the Gospel. We call this the good news. And we understand it's by this good news that we too can have a relationship with God, that we too can have a personal relationship with God. It's even interesting that Jesus himself is called a new te- in the New Testament a shepherd in John 10, 11. He is the good shepherd who gives his life for his sheep. In Hebrews 13, 20, he is the great shepherd of the sheep who shed his blood to begin the new eternal covenant. In 1 Peter 5, 4, he is the chief shepherd who provides for his faithful servants the, cl- the crown of glory that does not fade away. And so as we read this first verse, the Lord is my shepherd. I ask, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Is He your shepherd? In the light of the New Testament, in the light of your life, when you read through this and you read, the Lord is my shepherd, is your shepherd Jesus The psalmist continues, I shall not want. Uh, Everything that David needs in this psalm is found in this relationship. Now let's be honest. We all have wants, don't we? 
we all have things that we desire. We all have things. I, and I'm one of these people. I see something and I want it. You know, and I, I want everything to do with it. So uh, one of the things I've made sure not to get involved with yet because I know it is very extensive is bow hunting. I can't go out and just get a bow. Now, I'm going to need the bow. I'm going to need the arrows. I'm going to need the block. I'm gonna, some of you guys are shaking your head and you know exactly what I'm talking about. And see, I just, I, I like wanting things. And I think wanting some things in a certain way is not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, one of the examples I use sometimes of when you know you might want something too bad is when you watch Apple release a new product. When they come out with the new iPhone or the new iPad and people line up weeks in advance to get it. And you, you talk to them and they're like, are you, uh, are you ready for a new iPhone yet? Can you upgrade? No, nah, I got to pay full price for it. Uh, you know, is this something you need? No, I just got to have the new Apple product. It's going to be awesome. It's going to read my fingerprints. <laughs> when it becomes something that you've got to have to find your happiness, your peace, and your joy, that's when it might be going too far. When your wants become what drives you, it might be more than uh, something that you absolutely must have. You might be trying to find your joy in something that is not intended to give you that joy. Danny Aiken states, in this life I may not have all that I want, but I will have everything I need for joy and the fulfilling of the Lord's perfect will for my life. That in our relationship with God, that when He is shepherding in our lives, when we have a personal relationship and we know Him, that we lack nothing because a relationship with Him is enough to sustain. This I lack nothing idea is also found in one other place. It's found in Deuteronomy 2.7 in the context of the Exodus. The Lord shepherds His people through the wilderness and the promised land, and He meets every single need that they have. He gives them food. He gives them water. He gives them safety. He watches over them. They were literally lacking in nothing. When was the last time you looked to some Apple product or to some other thing in your life to try to find joy and you forgot to find your joy in the Lord? When was the last time you thought your life would be complete by some object out there and you misplaced your trust into that and not God? See, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Uh, he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. The nourishment He gives is described here as, uh, as being sustaining all that we need. That it restores us. That He takes care of us. That through this, we understand too that it's is all-encompassing of our relationship with Christ, that Christ is the one feeding us, that Christ is the one uh, giving us our nutrients that we need spiritually to grow us. It's interesting, John 6, 35, uh, Jesus is the bread of life. John 4, 14, Jesus is the living water. That our spiritual needs are taken care of, that this is where we find uh, this is where we find our restoration, is when we come to God's Word, when we come into the text, when we come into our relationship with Jesus Christ, and He restores us. You see, if we're not spending time in the Word, if we're not spending time uh, walking here with God, if we're not spending time uh, in prayer and meditation on God's Word, where are we finding restoration? Where are we finding peace? If it's not in our relationship with the Lord, then where do we find this comfort? 
And maybe you find that you look other places for this comfort and you can't find it. Maybe you find that you get the newest iPhone and it's really fun for a little while, but then six months later the S version comes out or the newest version comes out. Or a year later you're finally able for an upgrade and you get it and it's exciting, but the next thing you know that first one that you had got sits in the drunk drawer in the kitchen. Maybe it's time to put your, uh, your hope, your rest, to find your rest, to find your peace in the eternal King, in the eternal Lord, in Jesus Christ Himself. Continue in verse 3. He leads me in paths of righteousness. He literally gives me the route I should take. He shows me what is right and wrong for His name's sake. He does this for His name's sake, not for our name's sake, not for my name, not for the name of Derek, not for my good, but for His glory. What would this look like if you applied this to your life? What if you put uh, in, in youth, and I specialize in talking with youth, and I say this a lot, how would your schoolwork look differently if you did it for His name's sake? Or your jobs, how would your job might look differently if you did it for His sake? If you sat out not for your glory, but for God's glory in that next presentation you do at work, in that next job you get, in the next opportunity you have to uh, do something, if you did it for His glory, what if as parents we parented not for our glory or our kingdom, but for God's glory and God's kingdom? What might this look like in our prayer life? What might be some phrases or what might be the attitude of our heart? I have four listed out here that we might be able to use uh, as we pray or as we look to make sure that we make God's name and for His name's sake to be proclaimed. The first one, Lord, use me for Your name's sake. Literally asking God for use us to, as the end of verse 3 here. Number two, Lord, make me holy for your name's sake. Not God, make me holy for my comfort or for my peace. Lord, literally make me holy for your name's sake. The third one, Lord, keep me from evil for your name's sake. Lord, help me to stay away from evil things. Help me to stay away from bad things. Help me to stay away from things that bring shame to the glory of your name. The fourth one, Lord, make me like you for your name's sake. Not for my glory, for your kingdom, or for my comfort, or my peace. But Lord, make me like you for your name's sake. This uh, passage of scripture here breaks down into three uh, observations, if you will. Three uh, points. Uh, the first one, uh, encompassing these first three verses here. That God, our God provides for our needs. Our God provides for our needs. He's provided for our ultimate need in our relationship and Him being our shepherd, Him being our Savior. The second observation is our God protects us. Our God protects us. If you begin to talk to people and you begin to get to know them and you find out what their fears are, you can make lists and you can even go to Google again and list, you know, what are the top ten things people fear? Uh, spiders end up really high on the list. I just Spiders and snakes. I'm not a fan of snakes. Didn't have snakes up in Alaska. When I moved down here, I hadn't lived here very long. And at the time, I was jogging a little. And I remember I was running down Main Street and a snake was coming across. And I literally ran across four lanes of traffic uh, to get to the other side of the street because I thought that was the safest place. Um, snakes rank up there pretty high. But I think if you ask a lot of people what's the number one thing you fear, I think a lot of people are going to tell you death. 
A lot of people are going to tell you that we're scared of death. And why, why is that? Why is death so scary? Well, there's an unknown there. There's, there's a bit of angst there that a lot of times, too, we, we don't know when it's coming. We don't know how it'll happen. But you want to know why I think death is the number one fear, why that scares so many people? Because it's not natural. Have you thought about that? In the beginning, Genesis, we weren't created to die. Death is a result of the fall. It's a punishment. Death is not natural. We, we would say that it's one of those things of life, that it happens because it does. Uh, statistics are in. One out of one people will die. And so we just get used to it, but in a sense, we shouldn't be comfortable with it. It's not the way that we were intended to live. It's an act of, uh, it's because of what sin has done. And there is a fear there, but have you ever sat at the bedside of a believer in ministry? And I know Steve's been there before, and Pastor Jamie, and others of you have had family members die. I've been in there in a room before with, uh, with people that were unsure of their salvation or even unbelievers, and there's, there, there is fear there. I've been in the room with a believer before. My grandmother uh, passed away my first year of college. She was a strong believer, had been most of her life. Um, And I remember sitting there next to the couch with her, and uh, it was me and my dad and a few others. And uh, being the only uh, family member in my family that's in ministry, I'm always the pastor in whatever situation happens. Uh, And so I'm the official prayer at every meal, and I'm the official scripture reader uh, anytime anything happens. I remember sitting there, and we were actually, my grandma loved the Psalms, and we were reading through the Psalms when she passed away. And there was an almost peace there. Because she knew. She knew her Lord and Savior. She knew that Jesus was calling her home. And she knew that eternity awaited her. Christians have one thing. The Christian faith and a relationship with Jesus Christ has, has one thing that there is no other religion that can give you that assurance. You can talk to a Muslim, and a Muslim will tell you, I hope that I've done enough. I hope that Allah sees all the good things I do, and it outweighs the scale, and I really hope he's having a good day, and it's enough for him to allow me into eternity. You look at Hinduism and Buddhism and all of these other religions that focus on works. Hopefully you can do enough to tip the scales in your favor. Hopefully you can do enough to advance And there are all these religions that say you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do this. But Christ comes and He says, you know what? I've done it for you. Maybe you're here today and you're looking for a shepherd. You're looking for somebody that says, I've already taken care of it for you. Look no further than the cross in Jesus Christ. Look no further than the empty tomb. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff. The rod and the staff here is to complete the imagery of the shepherd, but it's also, uh, remember what the rod and the staff were used for. They were used for protection. They were used to knock the teeth out of that lion when he came in there. Um, It was used to protect them. Notice that God here, that he is watching over and he is protecting him. He is watching over them. Our God loves us and He protects us and He takes care of us that when we go through difficult times, whether it be death or other difficult times, that God is with us. Maybe you've lost a job. You've lost somebody that you love. Maybe you've gone through a difficult transition in life. 
Man, I tell you what, I've been through some tough times in life and recently been through a difficult time. And if it wasn't for the Lord and knowing that he was watching over me and that in the end he had mine and my family's best interest in mind, that he was leading us and guiding us and growing us, I don't know where I would have gone for peace and for strength. You know, my pastor growing up always used to say, you're either going into a storm, you're either in a storm, or you're coming out of a storm. But no matter what, God is the captain of our boat and he's watching over your rod and your staff, knowing that you'll fight for me, they comfort me. Number three, the third observation from this passage of Scripture that I have for us, our God promises an everlasting dwelling with Him. Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Notice here that God is preparing this table and he hasn't taken out the enemies. He hasn't put them somewhere. But they're, they're in the presence of this feast. They're in the presence of what's getting ready to happen. But they're at bay. They're not able to attack whoever's here. They're not able to influence what's going on here. They're there, but they're beginning to witness God take care of this. That God is taking care of His servant. That God is taking care of His people. This next line, in the presence of my enemy, you anoint my head with oil. Uh, this is done for, uh, for guests of high esteem. This is done for guests that you would care and love uh, greatly. This was an act of compassion that you would bring a guest in and you, you would anoint their head with oils and perfumes and uh, it was a way to, for them to be cleansed but also uh, to, to smell good and, and to really be put in a position of honor. David here is saying at some point God will call me in and I will be in his presence and my enemies will see that God loves me, that he's put me in a, in a great position in his kingdom, that he's put me in a great place here, that I'm valued. My cup overflows or my cup runs over. He gives me more than I need. He's gracious and he's lavish to display this. You see the Lord's cup is never empty or half filled. It's always full to the brim and always running over. All of these things he has. All of these things. Verse 6, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Not for weeks or months or even years. You all know the end to Amazing Grace, but when we've been there 10,000 years bright shining of the sun, we know less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Praise the Lord, all of this is made possible in Jesus Christ. So I ask you today, if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, if you don't know the Lord, who's shepherding your heart? And how would your life look differently if God was the shepherd of your heart? If you're here today and you said, yeah, at some point in my life I've committed my life to Christ, but you know what? I kind of struggle with looking to God in difficult circumstance. You know what? I kind of struggle with spending time in His Word. What would it look like for you to get involved in a Sunday school class or an accountability group or a small group and to be involved and tell people, hey, you know what? I am struggling with spending time in God's Word. Or I'm struggling to look to God for my peace and for my comfort. Can you pray for me? Can you help me? Can you maybe send me a text message during the week reminding me, asking me, hey, where have you found your peace and comfort today? How would your life look differently if you actively sought to see God as your shepherd? How would your life look differently 
if you could read this and say, you know what, I feel exactly like David does in this area. I know that God is my shepherd. I know that he has peace. And I know that there is a great eternity awaiting me. I know that Revelation 21 and 22, when that comes, I'll be standing there before the throne of grace, singing his praise for 10,000 years and oh, so much longer. As we think through this, as we think through some different sections here, how often do you spend in God's word? Just being honest with yourself. Just uh, You don't have to raise your hand. And that's sometimes the fun thing about working with youth. Occasionally you'll ask a question, somebody will answer. And you're like, whoa, keep that inside. We didn't need to answer that out loud. How often do you spend in God's Word? When you sit down and you look in the mirror and you ask yourself the question, who is the shepherd of your heart? Husband and wives, sometimes this is a good thing to ask each other when you're going through a difficult time. Wait, who are you resting in during this time? Sometimes husbands need to ask your wives, wait, are you looking for me for peace and comfort or are you looking to God for peace and comfort? Husbands, we should always be comforting to our wives, but we always point our wives back to where we find our peace and comfort as well in Jesus Christ. Husbands, where are you finding your guidance and direction and your peace and your comfort? And are you able to shepherd and help your family along during these difficult times? Can you say that this psalm looks like you, that it reflects you? While doing some research and reading, I found uh, Marcia Hornock. Uh, she captured this in what she titled Psalm 23's Antithesis. Maybe this psalm sounds more like you or us than the one David wrote. And if that's true, when I finish reading this, we're going to have a short time, an invitation down here. Maybe you just want to talk about what it means to be a believer. Maybe you want to grab Pastor Steve's hand or my hand or one of the deacons in this church, one of the elders in this church, and say, you know what, it's time that I refocus, that I look to the one true shepherd. I want my life to look more like Psalm 23 and the antithesis found in this poem, Psalm 23's antithesis. The clock is my dictator. I shall not rest. It makes me lie down only when exhausted. It leads me to deep depression. It hounds my soul. It leads me in circles of frenzies for activity's sake. Even though I run frantically from task to task, I will never get it all done. For my ideal is with me. Deadlines and my needs for approval, they drive me. They demand performance from me beyond the limits of my schedule. They anoint my head with migraines. My in-basket overflows. Surely fatigue and time pressure shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the bonds of frustration forever. Who is the shepherd of your heart? I have a time invitation here. Come forward and you're going to sing a, a song here to close us out, right? Um, so I just ask you today, who's the shepherd of your heart? What might you need to do during this time of invitation to make sure that the Lord, the one true God, is the shepherd over your heart? If you all will, stand with me now. We'll sing.